Hi, I'm a higher ed CMO, and I have a confession to make. For the first about 17 years of my higher ed career, I thought I was just a really great ally to the LGBTQIA community, but I was holding something back even to myself. And it wasn't until June 2021 that I decided to come out as a bisexual woman. In the years that have followed, um, I have put a lot of thought into how I can be an even better ally to my fellow uh, queer students, faculty, staff, administrators, community members. And I think it would be really important to have this conversation with Kevin Tyler, who is just a fantastic person and a great friend to talk about how marketers can support a sense of belonging for our LGBTQIA students, faculty, staff, and how we can stay up to date with the latest in the evolving language, how we can really show up and be better. Welcome to Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, the podcast designed for higher education marketers. I'm your host, Jamie Hunt, and I am so excited to have this opportunity to share insights and inspiration. With Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, I'm designing a different kind of podcasting experience. With each episode, I'll be bringing in a guest for a deep dive into the challenges and joys we all face in higher education marketing. After each episode, you can join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag HigherEdCMO. I would love to see this become like a book club, but for a podcast. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at at JamieHuntIMC. That's J-A-I-M-E-H-U-N-T-I-M-C for more opportunities to connect. So I'm really excited to be here with Kevin Tyler, who's the Director of Marketing and Community Engagement at Simpson Scarborough. Hey, Kevin, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the show. It's been too long. Like episode 42 or something is like 41 too many episodes. Agreed. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. And as a start, I always ask my guests, can you tell us a little bit about your higher ed journey? feels like so long ago. I started in higher ed in, I think, 2012. I had worked in uh, electoral politics for a very long time in Ohio, uh, running campaigns and raising money, et cetera. And uh, at some point, all of my candidates uh, lost in 2010. And so I did a little dabbling in corporate uh, communications and marketing uh, roles and got a call or an email from a place called Ology back in Columbus, Ohio, um, saying, we have this thing that I think you'd be great at. So I went over there and um, at the time they were working in several different verticals, um, all purpose-driven um, brands from health centers or health providers, financial centers who had a purpose-driven mission, uh, higher ed and some others, uh, some other verticals. And what I found uh, most interesting, at least to me, is that I 
immediately clicked with the higher ed piece. I didn't really know much about higher ed other than that I went to school uh, at University of Pittsburgh. I knew what my own experience was, but um, I had never really uh, thought about looking into uh, the nuts and bolts, the operations, the marketing of uh, what I think is a very important um, public good. And so when I started at Ology, it was soon after that, uh, there was a, a decision from leadership to focus solely in uh, higher education. And that's when I really like took off and I found my lane in higher ed. It was a it was a very strange love story. It was an unexpected love story between me and higher ed. And I am so glad that the two of us met uh, because it's it's an industry that I really feel strongly about. It's, uh, it's I'm emotionally attached to the the industry of higher ed. And I'm just so I feel so lucky to work in, a, in an industry like this one. When I was in college, I had no idea you could work at a college unless you were a professor like I had no idea. <laughs> Same. It felt like I felt so removed from that being a reality that it was just like these were, they could have been robots teaching us, right? Like it, it, I never right, thought of right. myself as being involved in an industry like higher education at the level and at the, at the depth that, I'm, that I am now. Um, and I am so surprised by it every day because I learn something new about it every day. Um, and it is such an important component to our society uh, that I'm really, really proud to work in it. Me too. I can't imagine working in a different line of work. Like it's unfathomable. Every once in a while, my mom is like, hey, you could transition to a different industry. And I'm like, but I love it. Right. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Right. I've had the opportunity to work in different levels of education, and I guess I should expand that because I think um, the, K, the K-12 space is just as critical as the higher ed space. Of course, they feed into each other. Um, but I've learned so much about the different kinds of education, the models that exist, the alternatives, the policy, um, and how people talk about it, um, that it's really become uh, part of me. And I really like education in, in its whole uh, is something that I really feel strongly about. What do you do at Simpson Scarborough? Uh, so I uh, contribute to marketing of the uh, of the agency. Uh, we are a higher education marketing and branding agency, um, and we offer research, video, creative, strategy, media, uh, etc. And um, I help ch- tell the story of the agency. Uh, the case studies, the uh, work, and what our benefit is to uh, higher education institutions. Um, also, I am uh, contributing to the development of um, what's called the CMO Lab. And this is uh, uh, an effort, an initiative uh, of the agency uh, to fill a need that no, that doesn't uh, exist just yet. There is uh, affinity groups for presidents and admissions people and everything in between, but there isn't really one of those for marketers. And so we're trying to fill that gap uh, with this um, uh, network of professionals, of peers, of experts uh, to provide uh, professional development, uh, data and insights, and community and connection for the group of senior most marketing officers on campuses so that we can talk about the problems that we're dealing with uh, collectively. I mean, there are some consistencies uh, that exist in the lives of the daily lives of CMOs. And so what are we doing? How can we work together to try to overcome some of the obstacles that are not just in front of our institutions individually, but for the industry as a whole? And I think the more that we can partner on some of those conversations and, of course, on those solutions, the better off we will be uh, as an industry. And so we're trying to build that program uh, in order to help individual institutions and their CMOs, but also the industry at large. 
I love it. I love it. I love the CMO lab. I love the whole thing. Even though you stole one of my staff people to work on the CMO <laughs> lab, I forgive you. It's okay. Listen, it's I had okay. nothing to do with that. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> I texted um, Jason, who I think he's the CEO of Correct. Uh, Simpson Scrubber, right? Yeah, I texted him and I was like, you stole one of my staff. <laughs> For our listeners, if you've listened to me before, you probably know I identify as a queer woman. And Kevin, I think you identify as a gay man. And so I think that gives us a unique perspective on this topic. But I would love to hear what your journey has been as a gay man in higher ed. It's funny. I think it's a really great question. I've never been asked this question before. Um, and I show up into rooms, my authentic self all of the time. Uh, I am very unapologetic in that. It took me a lot of time and a lot of work to get to that point. Um, but I'm very, very proud of who I am. I'm very comfortable with who I am. And I know that that is not the case for a lot of people. Um, and so I try to take up the spaces that, um, mean something to me and, and that I have a say in. Um, and not that I'm trying to represent the community, but I want to be a voice for it when the, when a voice is needed. Um, and so the my path throughout higher education has been one, um, and really through every job, where I want to keep a close eye on equity and equity equality and kindness and respect. And no matter what kind of business, no matter what kind of trajectory or vision you have for the business, equity and equality, diversity, inclusion, belonging, all of these words that we hear so often on college campuses now mean so much. And it's not one of those things that you can just talk about. You have to be about. And uh, I am often so honored and very pleased and um, uh, not shy at all about reminding uh, people who need to be reminded about like, we are here for all, we should be here for, be here for all. I never want to have an active role in, um, inviting people to places where they might feel harmed because of who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's very important for marketers to be the voice of progress because we are the people who have to know and be fluent in so many different cultures and activities and groups of people and communities about all the things that are happening on a campus. Um, and I think that my trajectory into higher ed being an openly gay, and I always add openly black man, is that um, I have a perspective. And it's a perspective that um, isn't always re represented in a lot of rooms. There are not a lot of people who do what I do who look like, uh, look like me and love like me. Um, and I think it's very easy to talk about communities as if they are far off or far flung from the room that we are just making decisions in when really they're all inside the room, or at least they should be all inside the room. And so I always wanna make sure that the communities that I'm a part of are represented in decisions because we deserve to be. Um, and that's not a business decision. It's not a personal decision. It's just a human decision. Yeah. Have you been uh, out for your entire career? Yeah, I came out when I was 16. Um, I was on my way to school and I told, I told my mom, I looked at her dead in the face and said, I don't think I'm straight. And I got out of the car and onto the bus. And by the time I got wow. home from wow. school, <laughs> um, she had become a member of PFLAG, um, had gone down to Stonewall oh, and had done all the research. She took the day off, of, of course. <laughs> uh, uh, but she had done all of this work to become more fluent in the ways that I would be, I would need her to be as I grew up. And she went on to become like 
the premier statewide speaker for PFLAG, for folks who don't know, is parents and friends of lesbians and gays. Um, and she became one of their like premier statewide speakers. She would travel all over the state of Ohio, giving these talks at high schools and parent teacher um, associations. And I was very, really very lucky to have a family who regarded uh, pride in who we are as a high, uh, as highly important. Um, I know that that's not, again, it's not everyone's story in that regard, but um, it, I have been out uh, for my entire professional career and um, have been proudly so. I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm so happy to hear that your family was like, yeah, we're all in on this. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, coming from um, a Black family, um, half of which, half of whom is somewhat religious, um, I wasn't sure what the re what the response would be, but I feel very, very lucky that it was what it was. Um, and they're cool people. I love that for you. I um, didn't come out until I was 42. And... Uh, I was at um, Miami University and it was, I thought I was just a really good ally. Like I was always advocating for our LGBTQ community. And then I'm like, you know what? You've known for a really long time. You've known since you were like 14 and it's time to really embrace who you authentically are. And there's a lot of bi erasure in the world and a lot of like, people who say you don't count because you're in a straight passing relationship. But I see it as like, I felt a lot of, I don't know if shame is quite the right word, but for my attraction to women, I felt like I was not normal. I'm putting that in air quotes. Yeah. And so for that reason, I feel like being part of the community is important and, and to represent that viewpoint in a cabinet setting and, making sure I'm going to the Lavender graduation so that they see that somebody in their cabinet understands what their experience has been, um, has been really, really important to me. But I, I genuinely was like, I'm just a rock and ally. I just like, just like <laughs> I'm all in on this. Apparently very selfishly. <laughs> <laughs> hey all, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. I want to take a moment to thank my friends at MindPower who are making season two of this Enrollify podcast possible. MindPower is a full-service marketing and branding firm celebrating nearly 30 years of needle-moving, thought-provoking, research-fueled creative and strategy. MindPower is woman-founded and owned, WBENC certified, nationally recognized, and serves the social sector, higher education, healthcare, nonprofits, and more. The MindPower team is made up of strategists, storytellers, and experienced creators. From market research to brand campaigns to recruitment to fundraising, the agency exists to empower clients, amplify brands, and help institutions find a strategic way forward. You can learn more about their work in the world by heading on over to MindPower Inc. That's M-I-N-D-P-O-W-E-R-I-N-C dot com. And be sure to tell the crew that Jamie sent you their way. I think we all come to it on a different timeline. I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, there there is a day when the pain of uh, hiding who you are is greater than 
the joy of uh, honestly stepping into who you are authentically. And my day was, you know, March 16th uh, when I was in, when I was 16 years old and uh, others, um, I know people, uh, friends of mine here in, in LA who came out when they're in their fifties and um, there's uh-huh. no right time. There is no right way. Uh, it is all such a personal thing, which is why it's so important for industries like higher ed to accommodate and respect uh, and understand where people are coming from and what they're bringing to your campus communities, because it's all so good. Um, and it's, yeah, and it's, I yeah. think it's easy to, to, to gloss over the cultures and the individualism and the identities and the desires of people when you're trying to create brand uh, allegiance, you know, come be a Bobcat, come be a whatever. Um, people are coming into that as different people and we need to talk to yeah, all of them in yeah. a way that they can understand and they can see themselves in. Absolutely. And we are all coming to it with identities that intersect, whether it's um, race, ethnicity, national origin, immigration status, ability. I mean, it, we're not a monolith. We are not a monolith. Yeah. Every campus has a diversity all of its own, either visible or not visible. Um, and people should be able to see themselves uh, on any, in any campus community who promises that they will fit and belong. Yeah. So from your perspective, how can universities really effectively demonstrate their commitment to inclusivity and support for LGBTQ students? There's lots of ways. I think that this uh, expands uh, beyond just LGBTQIA plus individuals. I think like if you're going to say something, you have to do it and be it, right? And so if you're saying we're safe and welcoming and you uh, for all and you belong here and we are, you know, we welcome everyone, I would... I would hope that you have some sort of fluency in what that means, right? If, if you have GLBTQIA students coming in uh, to your campus, understanding what needs they might have and having those supports in place already, uh, or at least working on them, is going to be an indication of your affluence, fluency and readiness for this community to be on your campus. I think that it's so easy to slap a you know a rainbow sticker on something or have some sort of like top level indication or communication that that uh, signifies that you understand what that thing means that 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 uh, piece of culture, uh, but it's one it's quite a different thing to actually serve the community that you are inviting, and I think that things like asking what your pronouns are on a, if you're learning remotely or, or, or in person, I mean, it's a fair question, no matter how, how the education is being delivered. I think that's an indication. And then following through on, um, you know, referring to that person as they wish to be referred to. I think that it's not always, it should not always be framed or couched in, you know, we have mental health and suicide services for GLBTQ students. I mean, that is, part of it, but it's not like the entire, our entire story isn't like trauma and pain all the time, right? Like where are the celebrations of gay love and gay life and gay living? And where are the gay faculty members and what are they doing and how are they contributing to the community? Have they been given space to talk about the things that are important to the GLBTQIA community? Um, I think that um, making sure that there are, there is diversity in your leadership and not from a um, counting, a numbers counting perspective, but Mm -hmm. If you're qualified people who happen to be gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, or otherwise, they should and and they should be part of a leadership team. And seeing people who are in leadership, who are who are part of your community, is a very powerful thing. 
it's a very powerful thing to see a gay president. It's a very powerful thing. I have never had a black male teacher in my entire life. And when I go to college campuses and see black male teachers, I am reminded of what an absence, what a gap it was in my experience. And I just think it's important to have representation at all levels of everything because we are a talented group of people and we like we deserve to take up space and be able to make decisions, et cetera. And uh, I just feel very strongly that um, that is one of the those are some of the indications that um, prospective students and staff members and faculty members look to to see how fluent you are in the spaces that mean mean the most to them. I, I love that perspective. And that representation piece, I remember I reached out to the person who's in charge of the LGBTQ center on campus just to have a conversation. And I think he was a little wary um, about like, why is this vice vice president reaching out to me? And when I told him I identified as a queer woman, just like his face just lit up. It was like, we have somebody on cabinet who like gets this. And it was so important to me, like the way people just went overboard with thanking me for going to the Lavender graduation. And it's like that little tiny thing of having somebody who's sitting on cabinet, who has an understanding of what it means to be part of this community, just really meant a lot to them, it seemed like. But I I think about when I came out at Miami, the president like was so excited he gave me every rainbow thing that ever existed. He had me riding on the Zamboni and waving at the like the hockey game that was for like Pride Week or something like that. Like it was bonkers. But really, like we can't just celebrate our LGBTQ plus community during Pride Month, right? What can we do through the rest of the year to really authentically market and support? Our community? I love this question. And my first response has always been, I am as gay in February as I am in June. And I'm as black in June as I am in February. And I say that because we have been trained to only celebrate along the uh, nationality months, the cultural appreciation months. And I think that that's fine. If that's, it makes it easy to navigate. And you know that this month is for this and this month is for this. But if we're truly looking at how do we make a place feel inclusive and make you feel like you belong, we should be celebrating people of all different cultures and backgrounds all of the time. If we relegate it to just June, then people only connect our success with June. We're successful all year long. And so while cultural heritage months are important, and I understand why institutions rely on them so much, I would challenge institutions to broaden the perspective and just highlight people all of the time. I think that uh, the rules of engagement when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion are changing so rapidly and the expectations from incoming classes, incoming staff members, incoming faculty members are higher. The bar is higher. There There is more that brands, no matter what industry you're in, there is more that brands have to do to prove that you understand who I am as an individual inside of a larger community. Um, And separating the year out into 12 buckets of celebration for different kinds of people really just keeps all of the celebrations separated. 
it doesn't bring any all, any of it together. It doesn't sell it. It makes it hard to celebrate intersectionality, like you mentioned earlier. Um, it relegates people to being one thing, and that is not. No one is one thing. No one. I don't care who you right, are. You are right. not one single thing. Um, and so, I think that's like the first part of making sure that we are um, highlighting and amplifying stories uh, across campus all year long, because otherwise it becomes very short-sighted. And okay, it's gay month, what are we gonna do? When it should be year round all the time planning to highlight the people who are making a difference in your community. And I feel like times are changing, right? Like when I started in higher ed 19 years ago, and when I started working at an institution, I'm not gonna give the specific number of years ago because then people will go my LinkedIn and figure out who I'm talking about. <laughs> we profiled a trans student and I got a lot of crap for it, to be perfectly honest. And I feel like today I, I wouldn't. And I don't think I would at that same institution if I were still there. Do you feel that things are shifting and changing over your lifetime since you were 16? Is it getting better? Yeah, um, I do. I think um, right around the uh, beginning of the pandemic, do you remember the pandemic? I'm just kidding. It was (laughs) (laughs) Um, around the beginning of the pandemic, I was asked to write a think piece around like about marketing and how it's changing and and becoming more uh, inclusive and diverse. And the, um, the main uh, idea in that was that as marketers, as storytellers, we have, we have to be brave, first of all, but we have the power Mm -hmm. to make a single decision that can impact the way people are seen and the way that we are seen as a, as a brand or as an institution, or even as a marketer. And some of the examples that I um, pulled for that piece, I'm not sure if you remember, there was a Cheerios commercial with a mixed race young woman, a girl, child of a black father and a white mother. And the news that came out of that and the people who were up in arms around about this young girl and the vitriol that were that was uh, surfacing on social media, et cetera, that was I was a person's brave decision, a marketer's brave decision to say we should represent other kinds of families. There was a yeah, Subaru yeah. commercial that came out years ago that had that was about camping, and there was a black couple who had gone camping. I had never seen before that and since a commercial that had two black people camping. That was just not not a way I was not grown. I did, was not raised that way. It was not a, like a picture I had in my head. And when I saw that Subaru commercial with this black couple, I was like, Oh my god! Someone decided to flip the script, and you, that's not just not something you often see. And then the last example I pulled was a Sealy mattress example, and it featured a gay couple. And these were all things that were like, that have stuck into my head because again, there was a meeting, someone called a meeting, they have a campaign to, you know, design. And someone said, we should do something different. And that, for that reason, that whoever that was, it has stuck with me and it showed what is possible in marketing. And so if we as marketers are brave and bold then we can make decisions that are informed. They're not provocative because it's real life and people can see themselves in it. And I think that that's what some of the, of, of what's missing in higher ed marketing is, yes, you might be a triple major with a 4.65 GPA playing every instrument in the band and debate and chess and all these things, but who are you loving and how are you, how are you learning? Are you like, are you neurodivergent? Are you, uh, are you bipolar? These are all parts of who we are as people. And if in, if we're talking about stories of success, it is not just how often I'm opening a book. It's also who what I'm bringing to the classroom, what I'm contributing to the community and the culture that I have 
uh, invited myself into because I thought I think that I uh, align with what you stand for. And uh, I think that those are some of the ways that we can start to be more uh, compelling in the storytelling that we that we are um, that we're doing in our job. Hey guys, it's Zach here, founder of Enrollify with some huge, huge news. So I am ecstatic to announce that Element 451, the AI-powered all-in-one CRM platform for higher education, has acquired Enrollify. Back in 2019, I approached Tony Frega, the CEO of DD Agency, with an idea. Tony's a good friend of mine, and so I said, dude, let's build a next-generation media hub for higher ed marketers and admissions professionals. As a lover of media, I was just so impressed by how the attention landscape was changing and how brands like The Skim and The Hustle and Morning Brew began to eat up market share from more traditional publications. And I thought there was an opportunity to build something similar, uh, you know, obviously a lot smaller, but similar in the niche, but oh so important arena of higher education marketing. Tony and the leadership at DD were gracious enough to allow me the time and the space to ideate on this half-baked idea and then launch Enrollify's first ever content asset, which was, you guessed it, the Enrollify podcast. Since then, Enrollify has grown into one of the most trusted resources for candid higher education marketing content in the industry, and we've welcomed industry giants like Terry Flannery, Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Eddie Francis, Dave Kibbles, and Jeremy Tears, just to name a few, into our network of creators. As we started thinking about the next chapter of Enrollify's life, it became clear that it was time for Enrollify to scale. I'm pretty good at building things, but scaling things is a skill I'm still working on. When thinking about who could take Enrollify to the next level, I felt as if artists, Mallory, and the leadership at Element 451 were uniquely qualified to inherit the brand. Element has actually been a part of Enrollify's story since the very beginning. They were our second podcast sponsor ever. They have invested in almost every experiment that we've ever run. They ship product faster than any other ed tech company I've ever met. And perhaps most importantly, artists and the leadership team invest seriously in thought leadership and education. Building Enrollify has been the most rewarding experience of my professional career to date, and I couldn't be happier to collaborate with the Element team as we seek to take Enrollify to the next level. And don't worry, I'm not going anywhere just yet. You are not through with my lovely voice just yet. Um, but if you found any value in Enrollify over your years of tuning into our content or watching our videos, it would mean a lot if you could share a kind word or two about how Enrollify has helped inspire you or helped teach you something new about marketing on social media. It would really, really, really mean a lot to, to the whole Enrollify and Element team, but to me personally as well. So if you've gotten any value of any of the content that we've ever produced, share a quick story or, or a quick thought about us on social. That would be wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being here, guys, and get ready. We've got so much in store that I can't wait to share with you all soon. But for now, back to the podcast. So I think even on, a, on a, maybe a much trivial, more trivial level, but maybe not, um, you hear these stories of, you know, 95% of our alums have corner offices at financial firms. Well, what if I don't want to be in a corner office at a financial firm? What if I want to be a park ranger or an art teacher mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. anything else that mm -hmm. is signifies success to me? That's that are, there are different versions of success. And so telling all of those stories, I think is going to be really important for furthering the message of diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, because we have been trained to think that there is one version of a person or of a student is, you know, traditionally age, that's no longer the case, right? Uh, and, and one version of success. And I think that that's not fair. I think what I'm hearing you say is that we're trying to tell the authentic stories of a whole person instead of just the slice of their life that is 
academics or studies or career or whatever outcome. It's the whole package about a person. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, um, uh, people's lives who look like mine and yours, um, it, they've become so politicized that it can be very easy to, uh, to avoid those parts of a person because of the, you know, you got a bunch of letters when you featured a, or a bunch of feedback when you featured a trans person. Uh, that might have to be one of the risks that you take in order to, to, to uh, demonstrate that all are welcome here. And we'll see who wants to do that and who doesn't. Yeah. I was like, over my dead body, will we take this down? <laughs> like I was, I was going to like check right out. If we were going to take down the trans student from the homepage, I was done. Yeah. But that takes a lot of courage, right? And sometimes you probably do risk all your political capital to do things like that. Right. But then I see things and I think of things like WVU folk did a story about a student who was a student athlete, I think a baseball player who came out to his team and his team was like, we love you. And then a hundred percent of their letters to the editor in their alumni magazine were good for him. That's fantastic. I'm so happy for him. I'm so proud of his teammates. This is so great. I cried when I, when I read all of those. And I think that that's like, you sometimes just have to do things that are quote unquote risky to make the world better. Right. And, and I mean, the idea that things like that are risky at all to feature a story that is like that, uh, I think is, uh, baffling among many other things, but, um, we are at a time when people's lives are political and, um, it will be up to institutions to determine, uh, where they would like to stand in those times of trial. Um, We know that some institutions will not um, do what I might think is right or what you might think is right. I think it's important to note here that also that as uh, passionately as I feel about diversity, equity, and inclusion, that means that people who have ideas and opinions that are opposite of mine also deserve the right to have space, et cetera. And so, you know, while I will never shop at um, Chick-fil-A or Michael's or not, I'm sorry, not Hobby Lobby, et cetera, there are people who really believe in those things. And that is an audience that they have built on their own. And that is fine. For me, I would much rather be associated with organizations that work to include as many people as possible than the alternative. Um, So uh, I just wanted to say that uh, out loud here as well. You gave me a touch of fear when you said Michaels instead of Hobby Lobby because I was like, all my paycheck goes to Michaels. Am I supposed to not be spending money at Michaels? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen any like cringeworthy efforts? Not naming any names. I don't want to out anybody, but any cringeworthy efforts on behalf of a university to reach this community? Oh, efforts to reach the community. Um, I think that the stereotypical approach to anything like this, right? Like, let's show that we have a healthy indigenous population here. Um, And then it's all like um, formal wear, right? Like, it's, 
not everything is wrapped up in the stereotypes of a culture. Um, and I think that sometimes it can be, it can be thought of. And I think the intentions are, I think that they're well-intentioned efforts. It's just like, and not fluent. Um, I think that it will be interesting to see how these efforts evolve, especially in states that have made uh, policies around the use of diversity, the word, offices, all of it, and, and how and how institutions who might not agree with the policy try to attract and retain those students. Um, but I haven't seen cringeworthy uh, attempts to reach this audience, but I have seen just cringeworthy worthy things that have to do with this audience, like like dead naming on diplomas mm. or, mm. Um, you know, of course, state policies, um, or it is, you know, hearing things like you can be gay here, but we're not going to celebrate you in the least. Right. Like those are the kinds of things that mm. they're not, they're obviously not efforts to attract members of our community. Um, they're actually quite opposite. And that is cr even more cringeworthy, right? There is the wrong, you, you have the wrong way to do something, which is somewhat quite cringeworthy. I mean, you, I mean, you should, you should take your licks if that's, if that's what you're doing, but active exclusion is of the utmost cringe for me. Um, those are the places where I feel um, the most concern for students. I mean, you've seen the articles about uh, young GLBTQIA plus prospects changing their plans for college based on state policies. That's unfortunate. And that is a consequence that that state will have to deal with in terms of tax revenue, in terms of workforce, in terms of all of these other social things um, that that state needs. Um, and those are, they're making decisions uh, that are regressive. I, I wonder how can a marketer who is not queer, LG, you know, a member of the LGBTQ community or whatever, and who maybe doesn't have any staff members who identify that way, how would you recommend they outreach to be able to get like, hey, am I creating something that's authentic, that is genuine, that is really inclusive and welcoming? Do you recommend they reach out to their LGBTQ centers, their gender study centers? How do you, how do you suggest they tackle that? I mean, I think there are lots of different ways to do that. I think first, I think it depends on what type of environment you are building this thing in. Um, I think I uh, I am a fan of generally um, having the person who is curious about the quality of their work in this space taking a first swipe at it. Um, I think what what I would hope to avoid is like a, uh, another version of what we saw in 2020, where it was like a bunch of black people being asked to do the work of teaching people about how things operate and whatever else. So I think that leaders who have this task in front of them should do the reading. I think they should have an understanding of what is going on in popular culture, in um, political, the political landscape, what is going on in their state. Um, because if you don't have an eye on those things, especially the part about the policies in the state, then you could be sending out a message that is patently false, right? Like we welcome everyone except we are in South Dakota or we welcome everyone except we are in Texas. Um, and so I think that's the first thing is get educated. 
Um, and I think once whatever is being worked on has a first kind of attempt at it, bringing people in uh, to talk through it with them, not like send it and say, look at this, tell me what you think. It's about having a really good and deep conversation about do you, um, maybe not do you feel reflected, but how do, how do you think this aligns with what you know about your community? Or how do you think this would land with student group X, if that's a person who's representing that group? Uh, I think that there are opportunities to have dialogue um, that are often missed for the sake of, uh, you know, getting something done quickly, um, or there is fear around facing the, a person uh, and having the conversation. We have to get past all that because we want to do it right and we want to do it well. And it requires, if we don't have the information, to get the information in a, in a, in a human-focused, uh, respectful way. And I think there's an imperative. If you're listening to this and you're not thinking about how your marketing supports, affirms, creates a sense of belonging for LGBTQ students, you're missing the boat. Um, a Gallup poll said that almost 20% of Gen Z identifies as not heterosexual. That's a lot. That's one in five of your students. And we're seeing them have expectations and demands that they should have because they should feel welcomed and like they belong. But if you're listening and you're like, this doesn't, isn't relative to me, or we're talking about just such a small pool of people. You're not, we're not, we're talking about a lot of us. And I think that's a really important point. And not only are there uh, more people who identify as part of the community, but they are also more vocal and they are also mm -hmm. very engaged in social media. They are very connected. Um, and uh, the whatever marketing that you're putting out and that is uh, disconnected from the, rea the realities of your campus, people will find out and people will talk about it. Um, and yeah, the yeah. deficiencies that you might have in this space will be amplified and exploited and well publicized, as we have seen so often um, in things that related to GLBTQIA plus community and other communities. It does not take long for bad news to spread in higher ed. Um, and so uh, those stories will be told whether you like it or not. And so uh, yeah, yeah. getting ahead of it, uh, being strategic and thoughtful, intentional and respectful about it um, is going to be the best bet and doing it for the good of the institution, not just the fill seats, because you can make the promise, but you have to fulfill the promise as well. Absolutely. If you say you're going to belong here and you don't belong here, that's going to be more damaging than if you never said that people would belong in the first place. Exactly. And this idea that, you know, so often we hear in higher ed about, you know, we need to, we need college ready students. What I so rarely hear is student ready colleges, student ready institutions, yes. right? And like, how do we switch, switch the perspective about how we are talking about what we offer to people who want it? who might have different lived experiences, backgrounds, whatever it is, uh, and can be their true authentic selves while becoming a bobcat or a wildcat or whatever it is the mascot is. Um, it is not, a, going to college is not you uh, abandoning who you are as an individual. It is going to a place where you can contribute to the success of a community because of who you are, I think. That gets me really energized. Another thing about Gen Z is, 
that same poll said that about two and a half percent of Gen Z identifies as either trans or non-binary. And in the highly politicized world that we live in right now, being trans has been or has become very risky to be open, openly trans. How can higher ed help support our students who identify as trans or non-binary? I don't have the answers to all of this at all, but I have ideas. One of the things I have been thinking about and I'm curious about is how we start to uh, weave information and language about the trans community into marketing materials. Because what we're doing is like, we have six men's dorms and six women's dorms and it's it's all, it's like, it's all binary uh, yeah. speak. And we are, uh, we don't live in a binary world and we, ne we haven't ever, but right now it just feels even more so. Um, and so I think having a language that is commonly understood and adopted is going to be helpful. I think if we start to see formal legal documents reflecting the progress that we're making in the world, how do you prefer, which are, what are your pronouns on the applications on, you know, at the bursar's office, what, like whatever, wherever there is formal documentation, having uh, some sort of reflection of what you are trying to attempt uh, on your campus is going to be really important. I think, again, diversity and faculty staff um, is going to be really important. Policies that uh, accommodate, you know, transitioning, I don't know, like student health offices and all these other mm -hmm. places that, uh, that uh, decisions like this are made. If we can start having those, uh, you know, on campuses, that, that's an indication, right? I'm not sure how likely that is, especially in states that are not dealing with this right now. But I think the first step is getting real comfortable with language, getting real comfortable with the idea of what, what people are going through when they are transitioning. Um, and it is not all bad things, right? These are people who are finding themselves and stepping into a version of themselves that makes them live with such a level of joy that they have never experienced before possibly. Um, it, it, and it, it feels what is happening around the trans community right now is so abhorrent, first of all. Um, and it feels like like a cup game, like a shell game, right? In 2004, it was all, all eyes were on the gay community and it was gay marriage, right? And uh, that is what helped, you know, the president get elected that, that cycle. Um, and now it's trans folks. And there will always be someone at the bottom of the barrel. Unfortunately, right now it's trans people. And as institutions of higher learning and as, as centers of progressive thought and, and i don't mean progressive as in a political progressive but just like moving the world forward kind of society forward kind of thing there should be space for these kinds of conversations on college campuses um, i was just having a conversation uh, on my podcast not too long ago about how critical the role campuses play in revolutions right we've seen so many revolutions mm. be um be participated in from college campuses and as we the demographics start to change and people start to become uh, in, in places of power, we'll start to see some of the policies, I think, change in favor of progress, political progress. Uh, but until then, higher ed, I think, has a duty to provide a space for safe learning, regardless of who you are or how you present 
or who you love or what color your skin is or how you learn or if you can see mm-hmm. or if you can walk like these are this is education and if we are so tied up in how a funder is going to uh, might get mad about uh, you know admitting a trans person then what what is our mission mm-hmm. what are we doing um, mm-hmm. because uh, I think that that's an important conversation to to be had um, I feel very strongly about that it makes me think about in some of these states where there are laws that are kind of prohibiting students to transition during their pre-18 years, childhood years, probably higher ed institutions need to be more prepared for students who are transitioning as they're going through their college experience. And we need to be prepared to support them emotionally, mentally, physically as they go through that, because it's something that they're just now figuring out their authentic selves because they've been restricted, which has probably been the case for a long time. But um, it's more and more important now, I think, as more and more people are feeling free to be their authentic selves. And all the other things that we find out about ourselves in our college years, um, ignoring or abandoning this part of it is feels absurd to me, right? Like, yeah. if we are going to ask essentially 18 year olds to figure out to act to say like i'm going to be this for the rest of my life and picking a major then yeah, they are yeah. also equipped to make decisions about themselves right like this is not like an extra or an add-on i am who i am at any phase of my educational journey and i would hope that the institution that i have picked to do this learning accepts me no matter how like no matter what p- part or point of my journey i'm on um and I think it's really important to have those supports in place, uh, especially for a rapidly changing demographic like the one we've been just talking about in Gen Z and Gen Alpha. I have so much hope for our world because of Gen Z and Gen Alpha. I think I can say as a Gen Xer that I feel like Gen Xers are raising excellent children. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if I had kids, we would be excellent parents. And I agree with you. Gen X is... You know, I was watching a TikTok the other day about how Gen X is the forgotten generation. Don't mess with us because we have lived some life. And yeah. <laughs> uh, going from uh, pre-internet to post-internet, uh, that alone is makes us a, a rough and tumble bunch of people. But I think you're right. I think we have seen, uh, we have benefited from seeing the world change so much that nothing can really, really rattle us uh, when it comes to, you know, change like this. And so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. When I first started working in higher ed, the language around this was primarily LGBT, maybe not even the T, maybe just LGB. So we know language is evolving and shifting and all of that. Do you have any recommendations for marketers to kind of stay up to date on what the evolving terminology is for all of these different type of intersections of a person? One of the places I go... um for updated list is GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D. And they have a really great glossary there. Um, and in that glossary, the LGBTQIA plus glossary, they do also have links to glossaries that are specific to trans folks um, and how to refer, how to ask, uh, some definitions, some definitions of some really important terms and phrases that are specific to that community. Um, what I am pleased to see um, relatively recently at least, is um, 
a surge of institutions who are developing uh, diversity glossaries uh, that cover not just the GLBTQIA plus communities, but also any community that has a, a vernacular of its own. The difference between Black and African American, um, you know, the difference, like how to refer to different communities. And I think that uh, it is uh, a development that I did not expect from an industry like higher education, but I'm so pleased that it's starting to happen. You and I had a conversation about this on my podcast last year about um, how you developed one of those glossaries um, and several other schools that I've worked with uh, at Simpson Scarborough have, have done those as well. And we are starting to introduce that idea as we start to make these brand guidelines for other clients. Would you like to think about, you know, adding diversity language in your brand guidelines because you are, you know, talking to lots of different people. I think that those are things that become really, really helpful at the end of the day and is also another indication if a prospective student or staff member or faculty member seems uh, happens upon it, they will see what you are attempting to become or be uh, while, while making people more fluent in the uh, language of culture. I love that. And I am bookmarking glad because I, I, I visited the site while you were talking and I was like, there is a ton of great stuff here. And it's not like I'm like totally new to the concept of Glad, but I it never occurred to me that that would be a great place for finding resources around this. It's a really great organization. Um, there are lots of places though that, I mean, if you just type in GLBTQIA plus vernacular or language, uh, a lot of uh, resources will come up. Uh, and um, I don't really know who's like more accurate or up to date than others, but um, it's always nice to know that people are looking at it, first of all. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess it's also important to know note that um, if you're a person who is a marketer who is unfamiliar with these spaces, be okay with making the mistakes. There will be mistakes made. Mm -hmm. You will. It, it happens to everyone around. They told, I told you, you know what my pronouns are. You messed it up, and you know that will happen. And just know that you are attempting to do the right thing at all times and the intention is what is well uh, placed um, but mistakes will be made and that is okay the attempt is more important than the perfection and the learning development process for um, understanding communities I think um, as long as an effort is being made then I'm cool and if there's no progress though in the effort then we have to have a conversation <laughs> <laughs> right Right, right. When you have to be open to the feedback, right? Like when you do do something that isn't quite right, you have to be willing to hear when somebody tells you you missed the mark. Totally. Um, and as marketers, we have to, I mean, no matter what we're doing, uh, we have to be okay mm -hmm. with that. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a really great point to, um, to raise. Any other resources that you recommend for marketers who are interested in exploring this topic further? It's important to be very, very well informed as a marketer about what's going on at your state house um, when it comes to uh, marginalized communities. I think that has a direct tie to your messaging and your efforts and where you're pulling uh, students from. Uh, I think uh, reading as much as possible is important um, beyond, you know, the GLBTQIA community. I think um, understanding the history of African-Americans in higher ed with The State Must Provide or um, these other books that talk about the histories of, of communities and how they have either given the opportunity to learn or not. Um, I think, you know, 
familiarizing yourself with the histories of who you're uh, trying to attract is going to be really important. You can't, I find it hard to market or develop messages for a group of people if I don't understand the context in which it's landing, right? Like, you know, there are schools that have statues of, of uh, anti-civil rights folks that might be on the front of a book and you're going to send that thing to, you know, a, right. a black community that might not be, you need to understand why that is not, not why that's problematic. Um, uh, so just being like fluent in those spaces, I think is going to be really important. And that information can come from all types of different places. Um, but I think talking to students is uh, going to be one of the best ways to get the information that you need around why did you choose this institution what is it about this brand or this experience or whatever it was that got you here what was it that got you here um are you do you feel supported here and if so why and and with what and if not how come what is missing i think those are all things that we have to be comfortable learning because there will always be another group of people who we can improve the experience for the senior who got here four mm-hmm. years ago might not have had all the support services that they needed. But if the freshman who came in this year is like, man, I feel so great. I can be open, uh, uh, you know, openly gay here, whatever. Uh, that senior is, sees a legacy that is being laid for the classes that come behind him or her. And I think that that is just, it's really important to have that view, you know, that alumni often have, like, if I, you know, if I applied here now, I would never get in. Well. If I applied here now, I would be able to be who I was then openly. And I think that is just as important as, you know, the uh, the return on your uh, investment for your diploma and the, the value of your your degree, et cetera. If you see that your institution, your, your alma mater uh, is, is flourishing with people living authentically, I mean, I think that's a very valuable story to tell. I absolutely love how you said that. That's so motivational. I mean, it's such an inspiring thing to think of about how what we do as marketers can help create a sense of belonging that can make somebody feel like they can be their authentic self, which lets them be who they were meant to be. You're not going to achieve who you were meant to be if you can't be your authentic self. Exactly. And what kind of success can you expect to have for yourself if you're so worried about how you're presenting or so worried about your safety or so worried about what you'll be called in the street? Learning can't happen when stress is taking over everything. And so if we just have to create communities and environments where learning is first and who we are is contributing and not detracting, um, I think that's great. I think one of the things I still find so troubling in higher ed vernacular is like, oh yeah, diversity would be great for our students. And it feels so like white centered where it's like, yeah, I think it would be great for our students to learn about, you know, diverse people, diverse backgrounds. <laughs> well, there's right. first of all, there's diversity that exists on your campus already, whether you see it or not. <laughs> right. But also we should maybe reframe that to say a bit, to make it a bit more inclusive. I think there are all these ways that higher ed talks to and about itself that inherently, I think it's just by practice, feel exclusive. And once we get out of that, then we can make some really bold, brave decisions about how we talk about what we do every single day to move the world forward. Where can people find you if they want to chat with you? They can find me anywhere that sells wine. I'm just kidding. You and me both. (laughs) Uh, They can find me on Twitter at 
Kevin C. Tyler too. Uh, and then they can find me on Instagram. This is a way different thing, but it's called the full belly blogger. I write about food and wine on the side. And so that's what. Oh, nice. Then on LinkedIn, it's Kevin, Kevin Tyler. I'm so curious about Kevin C. Tyler too. Who claimed Kevin T. Kevin C. Tyler one? <laughs> well, I, uh, I don't know who claimed it. Uh, it was uh, an email address I had back in the day and I just kind of transferred it over to Twitter. Um, and thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. I'm so glad that this conversation, it keeps happening in higher ed. I think it's a very important one to uh, keep having. I think oftentimes we think of diversity, equity, inclusion as a destination and it's an ever evolving kind of thing. Um, and so thank you for creating space for this chat and thank you for uh, carrying the flag uh, for the community the way that you are in higher ed and also in your personal life. I think it's really, really important and very cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. And Kevin did not mention he has a podcast. I did. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, where people can find you? Sure. Uh, I have a podcast called Higher Voltage. It's a podcast about higher education marketing, um, and we cover topics uh, from A to Z. Uh, the most recent, or the next episode to drop will be with Britt Kerwin, um, talking about uh, First Amendment speech on college campuses um, in mm. the shadow of the uh, Israel war in Israel. Um, and so uh, it's that, it's diversity, it's rankings, it's uh, every topic under the sun that relates to marketing. Super fun. And it is one of the only podcasts I listen to every single episode of. It is fantastic. It's fantastic. Um, so listeners, you can always find me on, I hate to say it, X. Twitter. Jamie Hunt IMC, J-A-I, right? J-A-I-M-E-H-U-N-T-I-M-C. LinkedIn is a better place to find me, Jamie Hunt. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Kevin. It's just a, such a pleasure. And I can't believe I waited 40 episodes, but I was just waiting for the right topic. Listen, right? I get it. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity <laughs> and we'll have to have you back on Higher Voltage to talk about some of this as well. All right, listeners, as always, let's go bust some silos. Bust them. Hey, y'all, Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO with Jamie Hunt. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing, learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.